Hey, it's Jeff. This is a bonus episode of Let's Talk About Sets. That means I recorded it before Harrison became the permanent co-host. It took me some time to figure out the structure and the technicals of the show, and Sandeep Sen helped me out with that. He's a good friend and a fantastic comic, and I think these bonus episodes are funny. I think they're engaging, and you cannot beat the price you paid for them. Enjoy. Stand-up comic joke it up one time. Funny. All right, welcome to the Let's Talk About Sets podcast, where we talk about sets, where we talk about our and other people's sets. I am comedian Sandeep Sen. With me is comedian Jeff McBride. That's me. Yes, and uh, today our special guest is comedian Ben Rosenfeld, who just came out with the album Russian Optimist, and who has the number five selling Amazon comedy album, uh, or Amazon comedy book, sorry, called The Russian Optimist, Dark... Tales of nursery rhymes. You should see Ben's face <laughs> while Sandeep stumbles Sandeep over. Just screwed up everything. Yeah. Well, it's okay, man. It's you know, it's no. You don't have to be famous. It's fine. It's all right. Yeah. It's cool. We'll clean we, it up and we, post. We don't yeah, want anyone to actually yeah. buy my stuff. It's fine. It doesn't matter. The book is called Russian Optimism. Yeah, we're gonna clean it up and post. Uh, that's that's a joke no one else is going to get. Well, we like saying it sounds well, really professional. Well, now you're you know. going to make them feel like they're not in on it. They might have just laughed, hoping that we didn't notice that they totally didn't get the joke. But now, but now I'm making you explain it to them. Yeah, uh, we'll clean it all up and post. Don't worry about it. Yeah, generally you don't want to have to explain any jokes. That's a sign that the joke didn't go. Except well. our entire podcast is <laughs> devoted to that very thing. <laughs> right. So we're going to break that rule. We're going to explain jokes. Yeah. You know, the old like... dissecting a frog. Mm-hmm. You can't put it back together again. Not good for the frog or anyone. Great. But well, people learn from the dissecting them. That's why they'd make you do it in bio. Yeah. So you do learn. That's, yeah, that's you the just point. don't have a frog anymore. And who needs... I don't need frog. The only people who say that are the people who are trying to get out of dissecting the frog because they just don't want to do it. And then they yeah. claim that they're... <laughs> no, I have a religious and personal belief exception for doing work and learning things. Also, gross. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the book is called Russian Optimism, Dark Nursery Rhymes to Cheer You Right Up. All right. I also have a new comedy album out called The Russian Optimist. Yeah, I think I said something like that. Exactly. Something like that. You sound upset, Ben. I'm a little upset. I'm your first guest. Simple two-line intro, you screwed it up. I should have written it down. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that's that, that we're gonna learn that from for next time, yeah. write it down. Yeah, or either that or we rock, paper, scissors, who talks first in such a way that I win. <laughs> and then everyone wins. But I know how to win rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> Is there like some sort of elaborate strategy? I got the cheat code. <laughs> rock, paper, scissors. Uh let's talk a little bit about what we're doing, what we're about. Uh Let's Talk About Sets is, uh, um, comes from our absolute love of stand-up comedy. The fact that we do it, and also we love it. I have, I don't know, hundreds of comedy albums. I've listened to them over and over again when I'm upset, when I'm not upset, when I want to feel better, and now when I just want to feel jealous of how good other comedians are. Did you get my album? Uh, no, I didn't get your album yet. Um, I, I didn't know... Uh, that I would be having you on the show today until a day before. Um, but that's no excuse. That's no excuse. I probably should have listened to it six or seven times beforehand. Thank you. To stoke the flames of jealousy. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what goes into it. Like uh, what devices are used in not only our own material, but in material that other comedians that we love 
Um, and then also Ben, uh, <laughs> in their material. So like, we'll talk about the devices that they use and, um, the context potentially in a historical way. And then also, uh, hopefully with Ben's material, uh, or any stuff we, that we play, it'll be like, well, what was, what was it like when you first started? Like, like what were early versions of this stuff? Like it, so that's basically it. Uh, yeah. And I, the format of the show will be, we'll have a comedian come on. We'll have them, uh, bring in a bit that they particularly like from anyone and we'll ask them why they like it and you know, what, what it says to them about comedy. And then we'll ask them about their own bits and how it evolved. Just right. like you said. And, and I, me and Jeff and actually Ben, we all love talking about talking shop, talking about comedy, how mm. a bit evolves and what's behind it. And, um, I always thought it's a, it's a, it's a fun thing to talk about. And, and that Jeff and I, Jeff came up with the idea for the podcast and I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Now so, we'll see if America proves you wrong or right. Yeah. So, um, uh, before we jump into it, I just, I'm curious, like, I don't know this about you, Ben, like what, um, what made you decide to start doing stand-up? A shitty childhood. Yeah. No, uh, I mean, that, that's probably the, when you go back in time, yeah, like, oh, that'll given. probably do that's it. That's a given. Yeah. That's like, well, yeah. The, the, the more proximate, how did I end up doing stand-up, uh, in college, uh, my freshman year roommate and I, we started running a parody website of the school. We went to Rutgers. We called it Sluckers.com. I'm actually in the sweatshirt today because yeah. I just rolled out of bed. Because one in the afternoon is a little early for a podcast for me. <laughs> um, so we were running a parody website where we were like writing like funny little articles, making fun of the school, like drink it a week, sexual position at a week, like a pick caption contest. Basically a college humor, but only for Rutgers. So uh -huh. we were, we almost had a billion dollar idea, but we didn't think big enough. <sighs> Because I think we started before them, but before that's college humor, or right around that same time. Um, oh, that's interesting. Like you, you had an idea that other people did much better. Yes, yeah. yes. That story of my life, probably. <laughs> um, anyway, he was doing stand up throughout uh, college, and I, I'd always go around with him, like kind of giving him notes or ideas. And then, which is that is such a funny thing too. Like that. When you know somebody who does, I know I felt the same way. I had a friend of mine who did stand up when I lived in Montana and he traveled around. He was a, he was a road comic. And like, I remember just trying to give him, well, what about this? What about this? And he was just always like, dude, like I have enough of my own material. You want to get on stage, get on stage. Yeah. That's kind of what happened. I mean, when I was going around with him, it would be more like giving him notes, like his delivery would change sometimes. And like, which one was better? Things like that more than giving him new premises. Mm hmm then uh same thing yeah yeah but then why I, would you go around with him were you just that you just wanted to see him do comedy and, and I, liked, sit there? I always liked comedy i, I liked hanging out I, I never thought i could be a performer but i i, I don't know I, I wanted to own a club at one point or like just be on the other side of it why didn't you think that you could be a performer uh, i never like acted in plays or gave a lot of public <clears throat> public speeches or anything so it didn't dawn on me uh-huh Later. Did it did it not dawn on you, or was it that just like Russian optimism at play? Did it never cross your mind that you could, or was it just mm -hmm. it's never going to work out anyway? Why think about it? No, I didn't think I could. Uh huh. Because I even in like class, I'd get a little nervous when you have to like talk too much. Right. I would love to say that the nerves go away, but they I, they do. They. they I, but there's a, there's always a, like a little something there. I, I mean, I, I beat it back, and everybody's different, but I I definitely beat it back with just going on stage all the time. 
Yeah, yeah, no, that's how you, that is how you get rid of it. Right. So if you're doing it two, three spots a night mm-hmm. after you, a year or two, yeah. you don't feel anything. Right. If it's like an audition or, you know, someone important in the crowd, you still feel it a little then. Yeah. But 99% of the time is like, oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. All right, man. And what is it? I don't think I finished the story. Yeah. Sundeep interrupted. I'm uh, so sorry on behalf of Sundeep. Apology. I've said, I've said one thing so far in your story. <laughs> and it was you the wrong been talking thing 10 times. Time. And I'm singled out for interrupting. <laughs> anyway, uh, so a couple, I'd go around with my roommate, then a couple years out of college, uh, I, I was working in consulting and I was in a project in Philly. He was living in, in Atlantic City. So I started checking out Philly open mics for him to like see if he was going to come visit where to send him. And after like two weeks of watching Philly open mics, I was like, I could write this shit. Yeah. Yeah. So like then I, I went back to the hotel room, wrote a couple of pages of jokes and like emailed <laughs> it to my buddy. Like, here you go. Maybe you can use some of this. Like, I still wasn't thinking right. about performing. I was right. just like, well, I could write these fucking jokes. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I send it to him and he writes back, it's not bad. Why don't you try it? Yeah, right, right. I'm like, (laughs) why don't I try it? Especially I was in Philly. I don't fucking know anyone there. If it goes horrible, whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, so I tried it like the next week and I instantly hooked. You got hooked going to an open mic. Well, in Philly, there's real audience at open mics. Okay. So it was like a crowd of 30 to 50 real people. A crowd of, a crowd just so, of just Philly so people open mics know what the hell that means if they're not in the New York open mic scene. Um, <laughs> the New York has a massive comedy ecosystem that uh, has all the way from the absolute bottom feeders all the way up to the great whites of, uh, uh, so to speak, of Stephen Colbert and Jon Stewart and so on. And so, like, you, you have uh, a massive, a really big open mic community with lots of open mic options. Um, but it means that almost all of the people who go to open mics are other comedians and in other cities, regular human beings who don't have this dark compunction actually go to watch open mics for fun. But that does in New York. Why a lot of, a lot of it is kind of like, why would you, there's free comedy by top level comedians all over the place. More supply than demand. Yes. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I did. I didn't put that in terms of economics and that is, you know. <laughs> okay so cool so you so you went to phil you were at philly and you were just like okay i'm gonna give this a shot and mm-hmm. you did it one time and you're like yes yeah i just like that i mean i one the material was horrible the first time but it got some laughs uh-huh. and right. I, I mostly like the feeling of people shutting the fuck up and listening because <laughs> i feel like nowhere else do people actually not just wait their turn to talk mm-hmm. and they're like actually focused on what you're saying I like that. And then when I came back the next week, someone like remembered me in one of my bits. But that was cool too. Then that is always really cool when someone yeah. can remember one of your bits from I, I'm just, I'm just always still shocked if that ever happens. Yeah. You know, when people can identify you from something that you said a week ago. By the way, the moment that you said it's so rare when someone actually listens to you and isn't waiting for their turn to talk, I was like, I should listen right now. <laughs> and we know that because you have the biggest headphones of all of us. <laughs> it's like your own personal reminder to listen. <laughs> all right. So your bit that you picked today, Ben, is called Dumb Americans by George Carlin. Yes. Why did you pick it? Uh, it's my favorite. George Carlin's my favorite comedian. And the, uh, the ending of the... One thing I love about Carlin is all, especially all his later work from like the 90s on holds up very well whereas like a lot of comedians even very famous comedians their material does not hold up at all mm-hmm. 
but especially this bit, mm-hmm. you could be playing it. If I think it was recorded 10 or 15 years ago, it's just as applicable, if not more applicable today. You could, you could even see Bernie Sanders doing the bit without the comedy portion, <laughs> without the motherfuckers in there. Uh, and it would like play perfectly. Cause, right. Uh, and I just love the line that it ends on, not to ruin. Yeah, don't ruin. All right, let's play about. It. Let's play it, and then we'll talk about it afterwards. Uh, all right. Consumption. It's the new national pastime. Fuck baseball. It's consumption. The only true, lasting American value that's left: buying things, buying things. People spending money they don't have on things they don't need. Money they don't have on things they don't need, so they can max out their credit cards and spend the rest of their lives paying eighteen percent interest on something that costs twelve fifty. And they didn't like it when they got it home anyway. Not too bright, folks. Not too fucking bright. But if you talk to one of them about this, if you isolate one of them, you sit them down rationally, and you talk to them about the low IQs and the dumb behavior and the bad decisions, right away they start talking about education. That's the big answer to everything. Education. They said, we need more money for education. We need more, more, more books, more teachers, more classrooms, more schools. Uh, we need more testing for the kids. And you say to them, well, you know, we've tried all of that, and the kids still can't pass the test. So oh, don't you worry about that. We're going to lower the passing grades. And that's what they do in a lot of these schools now. They lower the passing grades so more kids can pass. More kids pass. The school looks good. Everybody's happy. The IQ of the country slips another two or three points. And pretty soon, all you'll need to get into college is a fucking pencil. <laughs> Got a pencil? Get the fuck in there. It's physics. Then everyone wonders why 17 other countries graduate more scientists than we do. Education. Politicians know that word. They use it on you. Politicians have traditionally hidden behind three things. The flag, the Bible, and children. No child left behind. No child left behind. Oh, really? Well, it wasn't long ago you were talking about giving kids a head start. Head start, left behind. Someone's losing fucking ground here. (laughs) But there's a reason. There's a reason. There's a reason for this. There's a reason education sucks, and it's the same reason that it will never, ever, ever be fixed. It's never going to get any better. Don't look for it. Be happy with what you got. Because the owners of this country don't want that. I'm talking about the real owners now. The big, wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. Politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They got you by the balls. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying, lobbying to get what they want. Well, we know what they want. They want more for themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't help them. That's against their interest. That's right. You know something? They don't want people who are smart enough to sit around the kitchen table and figure out how badly they're getting fucked by a system that threw them overboard 30 fucking years ago. They don't want that. You know what they want? They want obedient workers. Obedient workers. People who are just smart enough to run the machines and do the paperwork and just dumb enough to passively accept all these increasingly shittier jobs with the lower pay, the longer hours, the reduced benefits, the end of overtime, and the vanishing pension that disappears the minute you go to collect it. And now they're coming for your social security money. They want your fucking retirement money. They want it back. 
so they can give it to their criminal friends on Wall Street. And you know something? They'll get it. They'll get it all from you sooner or later because they own this fucking place. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. <laughs> you and I are not in the big club. By the way, it's the same big club they used to beat you over the head with all day long. They tell you what to believe. All day long, beating you over the head in their media, telling you what to believe, what to think, and what to buy. The table is tilted, folks. The game is rigged. And nobody seems to notice. Nobody seems to care. Good, honest, hard-working people. White collar, blue collar, doesn't matter what color shirt you have on. Good, honest, hard-working people continue. These are people of modest means. Continue to elect these rich cocksuckers who don't give a fuck about them. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't care about you at all. At all. At all. You know? And nobody seems to notice, nobody seems to care. That's what the owners count on, the fact that Americans will probably remain willfully ignorant of the big red, white, and blue dick that's being jammed up their assholes every day. <laughs> because the owners of this country know the truth. It's called the American dream, because you have to be asleep to believe it. All right. All right. <laughs> Little optimism to start off to start off the day. I feel so much better already. Uh, <laughs> uh, I like it. True. Uh, how about um, how about during this political season? I like. There's a lot of stuff in there. Ben, you said you you liked it because it's true. What did you find? What what's true in what he was saying? Uh. All, all of it had a system's coming to fuck you. A system that threw you over, threw him overboard thirty years ago. Uh, criminal friends on Wall Street. This was before all the uh, banks in '08 collapsed. He called this. What do you know? What year the clip is? I believe that's actually uh, from Life Is Worth Losing. Um, uh, let oh, me see. four ninety nine, two thousand seven. So it's oh, okay. right before the collapse. Yeah, he the called it before, the, before collapse, the collapse. Huh? Yeah, isn't yeah. that amazing? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, so that's, so it's, so it's the, yeah, what, what, what other elements of it are true for you? The table's tilted, the game's rigged. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, the, the education system, they don't want smart people. Yeah. Well, wait they, a minute though, you, you, you don't think that the uber rich care about you? Okay. <laughs> you do too many positive affirmations in the mirror. <laughs> I, I loved how he makes distinct the politicians from the owners. Right. That part uh, where, and that's a common like device, I think, in in stand up is to take take two 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 things where you uh, you you kind of you keep you always keep them together in your mind the quote leaders of this country and then make this new distinction of like okay no you have the politicians but they're not the owners right you separate the things that most people think are the same mm -hmm. and then you combine the things that most people think are different right Those are good. Two right. good techniques. Um, I liked his wordplay with the no child left behind and head <laughs> so start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Someone's losing ground. <laughs> Carlin is a master of this. He's he, a he, master of wordplay. He analyzes the English language, and uh -huh. then he finds, he finds things in wordplay. Mm -hmm. um, and then this one illuminated something he's trying to say in general, mm -hmm. um, which, which he did a lot of. And I think that's, that's and one of the, even the uh, last line that I love so much is sort of wordplay, too, where they call yes. it the American dream because yes. you got to be asleep to believe it. Right, right. The pun being, of course, you know, dream as something you do at night asleep right. and then dream is something is your aspiration. And I, I love that uh, um, um, when you find uh, when he, he's able to use their rhetoric against them, uh, that to me is just 
priceless. Priceless. And that's another classic Carlin thing. He just takes these buzzwords and these phrases that, that are repeated over and over again until they're just meaningless. And uh, he highlights that. Um, I think uh, I like the big club. It's a big club. It's, it's also the club they use to beat you over the head. It's just, oh. I like the fucking you with the red, white, and blue yes! dick in your ass. Yes. <laughs> and the imagery it's great imagery. It's great imagery. Great imagery. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me want to see like a cartoon of it, of like, like you've got uh, um, Ted Cruz just standing up tall with like this, <laughs> this red, white, and blue condom, and there's like just some poor, um, sad, frightened. Family of eight. Yeah. It has um, to be um, a family yeah, of eight. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, you know, uh, um, Hispanic because of his abandonment of his own. <laughs> like, Is just, he Hispanic? I thought he's Canadian. I thought Cruz. I thought he was Rubio's a, Latino. I, am I wrong? I don't know I don't, enough things. Uh, um, but he was Canadian and Rubio's Latino. Oh, okay. I, I might be wrong. I don't know. We could look it up, but I don't care enough. Um, uh, uh, because that's my job as part of the plebeian masses. They are both care. secret Muslims, though. I know that much. Yeah. Well, I mean, what are you going to do about that? It's that's it's part of their their ISIS agenda. It's a it's a requirement to become president of the United <laughs> States. You have to be a secret Muslim. But uh, do you think the rich people get together and and try to make the education system suck? No, I think the system I, perpetuates itself. Well, once you have a big enough system and there's small advantages if you keep it a certain way, it can just perpetuate itself without anyone because people see their Without own self-interest. central planning, yeah. Yeah, they see their own self-interest, and it's a system that's rigged to reward people who seek the most profit. And there's a lot of benefit in that system, and we see it in terms of productivity. But the side effect is that unbridled greed, which is a part of human nature, and the, the, the temptation of that means that there's no—if you don't have a system that's designed to sort of uh, disincentivize people from being that greedy, they will do it. Safety valves, yeah. I think they usually call it. Yeah. Right, but the education system isn't rigged for people to do badly in it. If you people don't try in it, then they won't do bad. Then they don't, won't do well. You can do well and still not do great in life. Like, if you go 120 grand in debt going to a good school and you major in liberal arts, you're probably fucked. Like, Fair it's enough. rigged right. in that sense. Yeah, if you become a doctor, you're still okay-ish. Until your two million dollar malpractice insurance, but well, you don't have to spend one hundred twenty grand to go to a good liberal arts school, though. And you can go to a, you can go to a state school and then pay a lot less. There's a lot of choice involved. There, there is. Yeah, a lot but of when choice. you're seventeen or eighteen and you don't know, you're not fully formed. You want to go to the big best name you can most of the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went to a state school. Right? I think I think to keep it in line with like sort of the Carlin like. Uh, view you got to zoom out just a little bit further and you know universities um, and overall the suppliers for school system and things like that they're all sitting within a profit-based system there's not um, where the goal is to make your company that that provides textbooks make the most money or your 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 goal is as a, as, a, as a university is to find a way to um, increase the bottom line. Like it's like they're they're for profit enterprises where profit doesn't always uh, like it's not always in line with what's maybe best for humanity or best for the masses. It's best for the people who are who are best at making profit. They're technically non profit, but they can't 
if they lose too much money, they go out of business, so they got to make money. I mean, technically nonprofit, but then you have um, colleges like, uh, God, like uh, like Yale and Harvard, where their endowment is like well beyond um, most reasonable. massive corporations. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, call, call it whatever you want. That technicality is a difference with that makes no sure. difference. I mean, nonprofit is the most for profit. <laughs> the NFL is also nonprofit. Really? <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> That's great. And they get a huge public subsidies for all those stadiums and stuff. Yeah. But that's a great yeah. example of where they do actually consciously team up to fuck yeah. the public because there's only 32 of them. So um, I think uh, the other thing. Oh, so this is an interesting thing about uh, about George Carlin. So I read his me- his memoirs. Loved it. I've read him a couple times. Um, I've just a tad bit of hero worship for this guy. Uh, so one thing that informs his worldview is that he ran from the tax man his whole life. So he made a bunch of money in the 70s and never paid any taxes, just didn't get it that he needed to pay taxes on any of the money that he got because it wasn't ever like W-2'd or any of that. It's all paid from this venue or that venue, these ticket sales or anything. So he didn't even even file for a long time and he was just being this hippy dippy dude, right? Well, then the tax man caught up with him. And uh, interest upon penalties upon interest upon penalties, they audited him over and over and over again. And and there's there's an argument to be made that he could have been also been targeted because of his outspoken views. Um, That's certainly how he looked at it. And so he ran from the tax man his entire life. He never made it made it. He never got out of debt with the IRS for the rest of his entire life. Album after album, special after special, performance after performance, he was paying the man. And so I. If I were living that life, you bet I'd have that viewpoint. But you could have just not dodged taxes for 30 years. Well, okay. That would be un-American. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure if he could go in this Wayback Machine, he would, do, he would have done the same thing. And he didn't right. dodge it for like 30 years. It was just like a short like five-year span okay. where he just didn't. He was like, eh, I'm, sure it's, I'm sure it's taken care of. He just didn't pay attention to the money. Um, and he got it, and he spent it, and he did a bunch of drugs. And it was like he wasn't living like, you know— like the smartest way during that period of time, but he paid for it for the rest of his life. And I, I, like, so it's not surprising. So pay your taxes, boys and girls. <laughs> That's right. Especially if you're going to speak out against the government. April 15th is coming up guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the more, you know, from Jeff McBride. <laughs> uh, all right, let's, well, let's get to the first bit. The Russian optimist. La, la, F- what, fix his singing in post, please. Yeah, do definitely. I'll fix um, the whole thing in post. One last thing I loved, which was politicians hide behind the flag, the Bible, and children. And the imagery of, like, those three things in front of a politician who's got, like, a microphone. But he's there, like, like, like ah, just, ah, such, so good. And I feel my favorite thing about it is you're just not, even when, where you're not laughing, you're just nodding yeah. along, like, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. that is true. Yep, yep. I mean, and I think he also uh, earned that gravitas. Yeah. That wasn't like, he wasn't a 22-year-old talking like this. Right. There, there, there's actually, I forget who says it, but it, the, the expression is until you're George Carlin, no one gives a shit about your opinion. Yeah. Where you kind of got to earn it. Yeah. Which I've struggled with. Yeah. I just want to talk about all this stuff, but they're like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. Right. So you got to first like establish yourself. And then the last few minutes you could do a few political things, but you can't just like one of his specials. He started with like, fuck those abortion, anti-abortion rallies. Yeah. 
I think that's the that for comics for like uh, for for like us, you know, I, for me, I, it's it's hard. You have to make sure that you're funny first, absolutely, and then the message is last. And I struggle with that too. Right. And when I've noticed that when I when it's e- when it's equal or when the message is first, it just doesn't do well because like I'm not, not anyone, right? Yeah, yeah. and, and not only that, not like coming. by that point, he's playing to in a, in the in the style of a politician. He's playing to his base, you know. Yeah. He's not trying to appeal to a wider audience to gain traction and like, but he did that for a long time before he ever flipped over into that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, he, he, he works as part of the system. He did. As all, all those hippy dippy weathermen yeah. and all those very square characters. Yeah, so did Richard Pryor. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Uh, what do we got next? All right. Well, let's, this is Ben's bit, uh, the Russian optimist. Uh, so let's, let's hear it. You fucking don't understand. This isn't my fault, okay? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to share a couple more classic Russian joke jokes with you. Then you'll understand why I'm a human fountain of darkness. <laughs> Here we go. Девочка Нина плавать пошла. В среду нырнула в субботу вскола. I can tell who speaks Russian based on who laughs on the Russian. По-русски там говоришь, конечно. Ask if she spoke Russian, she said yes, and then we plotted the overthrow of America. Here's a translation for everyone else. A little girl named Nina went swimming. On Wednesday, she dove. On Saturday, she surfaced. And it has a message. No lifeguard on duty. Here's another one. Yes, Frasilo Lefrika Petrova. Pushimu was the shame man in profit. Nichivonia Tvetsu Niskazal, Tokatsiko Botumi Kachal. You know it's not good if this is the motion it ends up. It's not going to go well. Here's the translation. I asked Peter the electrician, why is there copper wire around your neck? <laughs> He didn't respond, his boot just swayed quietly. <laughs> ben is making a pendulum motion with his hand. That one also has a message. Don't ask stupid questions. Fun fact, Peter hung himself because his daughter had just drowned. <laughs> I love their reaction. Yeah, it was his turn to be the lifeguard. The message of that is, do you know where your kids are? One more. Меня зовут Вака Вака Борщ Борщ Вака Вака. Yeah, that was a fake one. I was seeing who's paying attention. I just said Vaka and Borsh over and over. You guys caught it. Good job. One more real one. Мне в детстве мама выкала глазки. Чтобы я в шкафу варенье не нашел. Теперь я не смотрю кино и не читаю сказки. Anyone catch that ABAB run? Here's the translation. In my childhood, my mom gouged out my eyes so that I wouldn't find the strawberry jam. Since then, I don't watch movies and I don't read fairy tales. But on the bright side, I smell and hear really well. Yeah, that's Russian optimism, everyone. 
That is Russian optimism. <laughs> I actually have a book out of 30 of those as an illustrated coffee table book. So if you go to RussianOptimism.com or say hi after the show, it makes for a great gift for your messed up friend. All right. Yeah. That is Russian optimism, indeed. So these are these are actual these are actual nursery rhymes. These are real Russian nursery rhymes. Yeah, uh, I, I translated them. There's like hundreds of them. I picked my favorite thirty that I thought would illustrate well, and I turned it, it into a book. Is it from one like author, or are these handed down for gener- generations? It's like the Russian equivalent of knock knock jokes, where okay. there's no authorship, as far as I'm aware. Okay, so this is public domain, as far as yeah. I'm aware. Okay, yeah. gotcha. And this is told to children. Sometimes to children, probably usually between adults. Like, like I learned it. My dad started telling them to me when I was like in my early twenties to cheer me up. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes you laugh. It's like so insanely horrible. Yeah, yeah. That you can't help but laugh. Plus, yeah. they all rhyme in Russian. Yeah. And like the the tone in Russian is this like very storytelling, like nursery rhyme, happy tone, uh-huh. and it's just horrible shit happening. <laughs> I, I I I love it. Like, also, just like the idea of your dad paternally putting his arm around you and going, "Look, I know it didn't work out with this girl. Let me tell you a nursery rhyme about a man committing suicide." Yeah, because it could always be worse. That's, yeah, that's yeah, the point. Right, right. right. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're a little upset because of whatever, but hey, yeah. at, at least your daughter didn't drown yeah. and you searched for her for four days. Yeah. The the uh, yeah. So like a Russian affirmation is an affirmation that uh, things could get so much worse. Mm. Cheer up. Uh, yeah. Love it. How old are children when they hear these rhymes the first time? Usually. I mean, it's not like it's taught in school, if that's your question. No, I don't think it was taught. I, I mean, I think it depends on the parent. But like Ru- Russians, sometimes Russians will be like, when they talk to them after a show, they'll be like, they'll be like, oh, do you have this one in it? And then they'll do a rhyme. Like people know them well. So this is this proliferates a lot through through. I, I think it was big in the seventies and eighties as like counterculture because everything was very oh, official soviet command yeah this was like little subversive uh-huh but it's not political so you can't go to siberia for it you know <laughs> people always find the line and mess with it right and that's how the russians do it i guess yeah yeah russians are good at exploiting loopholes and systems because we have shitty systems yeah, you were telling me that's why uh, that's why there's so many Russian hackers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah you find it's you a just whole keep life. poking till you find. It's a whole culture of just of of doing it the unofficial way. Well, because uh-huh. it wouldn't the official way. You'd be starving and dead and no clothing, especially in Soviet times. So you had to find ways to get yourself pants and food and all that stuff. Otherwise, you didn't survive. Right. Right. Uh, of all your wow. bits, why did you want to pick this one? Uh, to plug the book and the album. Okay. Um, it's also an interesting, how did the bit come about? Yeah. Because uh, usually I like have like a little idea for a bit and kind of expand it or whatever. This came about in a very different way where it was, one, my dad like told me lots of them and I always liked them. I mean, it's the Russian equivalent of dead baby jokes, I was thinking I that. I was thinking yeah. that. Um, the the truck, what's a truckload of dead baby, blah, 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 blah. Oh, I, like, can, I know all those yeah, punchlines. Right, yeah. right. But uh, it's like the Russian equivalent of that. So that that was one inspiration. But then because other jokes of mine go too far. Uh-huh. So I, I also tend to write save jokes mm-hmm. where it's like once I've gone too far. Look, let me explain why this is happening. This isn't my fault. That's how like that bit starts. Uh-huh. I, I forget what bit I did before it on the album, but it, it probably went too far. Mm-hmm. I think it was a revenge fantasy where someone cuts me off and. 
bad things happen to them. But uh, yeah, so I, I, I wrote it as a, look, this isn't my fault. All these horrible things are saying it's because of how I was brought up. Right. And then I explain it. So it was a different. Which, by the way, that 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 uh, finding that line and crossing it is very, very Carlin-esque, right? He, what is his famous quote? It's that it's the solemn duty of the comedian to find the line and then cross it deliberately. Did yeah. you have Did you have trouble getting people to laugh at it at first? Because you're speaking Russian for a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. There, there's. It, it took a while to fine tune how to do it. The the, the Russian say? becomes a device too. Yes. Uh, so there, there's actually. It's not on this track. There's four of them that I usually do when I'm doing a long set. Mm-hmm. But one of them is at the start of my like two minutes in. Where I'm like, it's ironic that I'm a comedian because in Russia they raise you to fear happiness. Like, here's a standard Russian nursery rhyme. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Sounds nice and poetic, right? And like a scary Eastern Bloc sort of way. Translation A little boy found a machine gun. Nothing lives in the woods anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, that rhyme is one of the reasons I call Russia evil Canada. <laughs> it's like that sets it up where it's right, like right, I do right. one and then I they kind of forget about it. I do other jokes and it goes too far and I'm like, look, this isn't my fault. I'll right. share some more of these. I, 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 I was thinking when you were doing it that in a way the structure is uh, um, is a Russian doll joke structure it, it, because like what you have is um, you have the device of speaking in Russian. Then the then the translation, right? Which becomes, and then you have the second example of that thing. Each one a joke uh, in and of itself. And then the third time you do it, then you break the mold. So you have the the joke structure within each one. Then the larger doll, which is the 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 device of talking in 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 Russian, and then not talking in Russian, but making it sound like it with borscht, borscht, vodka, vodka. I mean, it's technically Russian, but it's the two words you know Americans know. Right? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, again. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Ah, woo, I, was, I stepped on it there. Uh, not speaking in uh, Russian prose, but rather. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, saying a couple of Russian nouns that we might recognize. You're just being racist. You're just, you're just looking for some Russian, Russian, uh, Russian doll thing. And he's Russian. It's I see a, what's it's going Russian on here. Doll structure. I, is that not fair to say? I see what's going on here. Did so? Was it? Were there? It started out as you do one of them and then do other stuff in between, and then you at some point you converged all of them. It, it was the opposite. I think I do like four or five in a row. I, I do like those four in a row. Yeah. But then it would be like you were asking about with there's a lot of Russian in there. So it felt like it was too much. Yeah. That's why first I do one with like two quick lines of Russian, which also in a long set helps establish that I actually speak Russian. Mm-hmm. So I do one and then I come back to the rest. And because one, they already know one of them and it's screwed up. So they're almost more accepting of it. And then I kind of, if you notice, I go, it's a two liner in Russian, the, the uh, little boy. And uh-huh. it's another two-liner, then it's like a three or four-liner, and then it's a four-liner. So like, I, so you ease them into it. Yeah, I ease them in. Where like you don't dipping want, into a Russian I don't want bath. Them, I don't want them to zone out, so I I do the short ones first, and then uh-huh. I do the longer ones, and the two longer ones get split up with the fake one. And I, you can't see because it's audio, but I also do hand motions on all of them, which help like for the rhythm, so they see where the rhyme is. Mm-hmm. And then the two middle ones I do 
little motions that actually depict what's happening to help people fully grasp it. Right. So all those things you were you started adding after to get to keep them. Yeah, you kind of the more I mean the more I do a bit the more I learn how to perform it as well because first I just want to see that the actual joke is good. Um, what what was what was what was like the or what was an early version of it? Um, now you don't have to do it, but I'm saying like what what did you try out that? I, I think the early version uh didn't have my commentary after mm-hmm. each one. You just spoke Russian and <laughs> I just kind of like look. I know these jokes are dark. It's not my fault. Uh-huh. Here's some re- Russian nursery rhymes. And then I do one and then do the translation and do one, do the translation. And then I started adding, like, there's a message right. there. Yeah, it the rhymes. Moral, the moral is great. Yeah, if also. I'm doing this, you know, it's not good. Like, little things where it's just adding my own mm-hmm. flavor other than just here's some Russian street jokes. And not only, not only that, there's an element, too, with this where... Um, you're bringing together, you have the sort of, um, to the American, the incomprehensible Russian part. Then you have the, then you have the, uh, the actual translation, and then you bring the two together with your commentary, and then, which generates new meaning for it, which is great. Because other people, a lot of times, what I noticed listening to it, for me, I would have a different interpretation of the interpretation. So I'd have my own, like, moral of what that means. And then when you would depart from that with your own commentary, boom, you have yourself a joke. The surprise uh, is right there. Right. And the other nice thing is the uh, That's Russian Optimism at the end. I got mm-hmm. that idea before I had the book title or, mm-hmm. or an idea to even do a book. So it's kind of like first my dad gave me those jokes to like mm-hmm. cheer me up. Then I'm like, that's fucked up, but hilarious. I got to make this a bit. Yeah. And then the bit started doing well. I'm like, this should be a book. Uh... So I turned it into a book. How's the book doing now? Uh, good. I think it's... I checked today. It was like number 200 in dark humor sales on Amazon. Well, it's been as high as 20 in dark humor, and the Kindle's been five in humor. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, so get your copy, RussianOptimism.com. Uh, all right. Let's play the next bit. How's that expression now, everyone? America runs on... Fear, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get used to what they want you to think. <laughs> No, America runs on fear. Fear of ISIS, fear of Ebola, fear of Barack Hussein, ISIS, Obama, Ebola. That's what they call them on Fox. And the thing is, like, the government, they want us scared enough that we're going to try to change the system. But not so scared that we stop buying stuff. Because you see, America's mantra is boom, buy, boom, buy. Which is still better than Russia's mantra of boom, die, boom, die. Because here's how it works. The TV news tells us about this big problem that we may never solve. And then a commercial comes on for this teeny-weeny problem that we can solve if we just buy this fantastic product. It's like there's an oil spill in the Gulf we may never clean up. Clean up your spills with bounty! (laughs) Senator Ted Cruz to run for president. Run from your problems with a carnival cruise! (laughs) Syria calls for help. Call for help hands-free with the new iPhone! (laughs) Oh my god, Siri, call an ambulance! Okay, calling Lance. (laughs) I like to think the more TV you watch, the more stuff you buy. Then you go into debt. 
So now you gotta work harder at a job you hate. So you buy more stuff to distract yourself from the fact that you hate your job. Which you're now afraid to lose. <laughs> yeah, before you know it, you're climbing a wobbly wooden footstool, trying to hang yourself up a shamwow. <laughs> it snaps. You know what breaks your fall? A pile of snuggies. <laughs> I sense a few of you get excited. If you're getting sad, just buy my brand new book. <laughs> Russian optimism. Dark nursery rhymes to cheer you right up. <laughs> we all want to be happy. I'm telling you, like, happiness isn't about buying stuff, except my book. <laughs> happiness isn't about buying stuff, it's about experiences. So instead of buying fancy shoes at Saks, call immigration on the sales clerk. Dip Siri, call INS. Calling Lance. <laughs> See, the thing is, like, the media always shares these scary stories, like killer bacteria on doorknobs, or more kids than ever grown up fatherless. And you watch enough of this, you start to get anxiety. Then a commercial comes on for anti-anxiety drugs. So you start thinking, yeah, how dare those orphans make me too anxious to buy bounty? So you get on clonopin, but it screws up your erection. Now you're on Viagra, but it fucks with your heart. One day you're watching TV eating Cool Ranch Doritos when you hear, up next, are Doritos deadly? <laughs> so you start to hyperventilate. And as you're running to the bathroom to splash cold water on your face, your Viagra boner bulging. <laughs> you touch the doorknob and a killer bacteria, heart attack dead. <laughs> so now your kid's growing up fatherless. The news reports that the cycle continues. It's gotten so bad that now I watch the news and take antidepressants just to see if the drugs are working. <laughs> They're not. I'm still depressed, but on the bright side, I'm no longer anxious about my 24-hour boner. <laughs> Anyone want to take a romantic carnival cruise? I'll book it on my new phone. Siri, where can I get some condoms? Call Dom. <laughs> Okay. Another well, cheery bit, huh? Yeah. Another uplifting Ben Rosenfeld special. I mean, well, my goal this... in comedy is if you don't know whether you should laugh or cry, I feel that's a good goal to I accomplish. I heard a girl in the audience. <laughs> she would... <laughs> 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 the end. Yeah, but I think that's, that's the comedian's job. Mm. On that, that it's is a very Carlin square them down until they're so sad they have to laugh. Yeah, because <laughs> the truth is sad, but you make it funny. But it's also still sad. <laughs> and this had similar themes to the Carlin bit we played it, today. It, it is, and I didn't even realize how similar yeah. until I tracked down the American Dream bit. I'm like, oh, okay, that's where that, that came that, from. That's why I try not to listen to him too much because yeah. then it. Well, I think that's that shows that you can you can make a bit of your own and a concept your own, even if someone else has done it before you. I think a lot of people get get afraid, like, oh, this other person did this bit with this similar theme. But right. I always think that if you well, Carlin if had influences too, man, right? Like we have influences. It's okay. It's just you know, like uh, we know the you know the difference between talking about something that someone else has talked about and just repeating what they did there's a difference and you know you you know don't right i think there's a i think um if someone's talking about something very specific if they have a very if you had a very specific bit 
on um on Bose headphones. You or know? better yet, hot pockets. Like like if right. I did a, if I did five minutes on hot pockets, it'd be people would be like, dude, Jim Gaffigan did ten minutes on that specific product. Right. Then you're in trouble. But if it's a broad bit like love yeah. or consumption or yeah. materialism, right. then you shouldn't be like scared away. I'd definitely listen to it to make sure you're not saying the same punchlines or you have mm-hmm. at least some kind of unique spin. But that the fact that we're too materialistic, that's the overall bit of that Carlin bit and right. Ben's bit. You can you can go with it. I've I've heard people. I mean, my my focus you know. is more to fear anxiety portion. Right. I mean that's just, your spin on it. it it's on the materialism's underlying it, and although I make the point about materialism by plugging materialistic things like my book in the bit mm-hmm. to kind of like be the idiot, like kind of that, that's as close as my character gets to being an idiot. Uh huh. Is when you're like, don't buy stuff except my book. Like right. yeah. So that's a great question. So like, would you say that you've developed a character slash persona? No and yes. It, what do you mean? I think I am who I am on stage, but I also know what wouldn't work in my voice, even if I find it funny regardless. Hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's especially when you have like 10 or 20 minutes and it's short, like you know how they see, I, I feel you after a while, you know how the audience sees you. Mm. So there's certain jokes that it just wouldn't make when I'm like in a blazer and a button down and glasses, certain jokes just wouldn't work. Even if they're technically funny, they just don't fit. Right. Like, you know, this is my canvas. Right. Yeah. I can paint these things. Yeah. Kind of like that. Um, and to, you know, try to but make like, a sculpture on a canvas isn't going to work. Like I, for whatever reason, me playing an idiot doesn't really work. Uh huh. Like, if lack of knowledge is part of the punchline, it won't work as my character. Uh-huh. Because I usually come off as smart or intelligent. Mm-hmm. But I, there's little bits and pieces where I can do that. Right. But it, if the punchline is just because I'm clueless, it won't... Because I don't come off as clueless, so it doesn't work. It's gonna Yeah, it'll be incongruous with who they right. think you to be. Whereas... Uh, yeah, exactly. Whereas I'm sure there's plenty of things I'm clueless about. Uh-huh. But it wouldn't... Where I could play off of it, like, in real life, but on stage it wouldn't work as well. Uh-huh. Got it. That's interesting. When did you begin to become aware of that? Just I don't, slowly over time? Or yeah. Or did have something happen where you're like, shit, you know what? This is, ha- this is how they see me, or... I think slowly over time, especially the last three or four years, more often than I would like. Some, not that often, but often enough, like, after shows some audience members will come up to me and be like, we really enjoyed you, but we think it went over the heads of some of the other people. I hate that comment. I used to hate it, but I'm now I'm like, thanks. Tell your friends. Then we don't have to have those people there. Then I can have my fan base. Then, fo- then I can get even more over everyone's head. <laughs> once I have a following. <laughs> That's a good way to rephrase <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I, it's, it's, um, does, is there any part of you that's like, ah, I would, I, I don't, to me, like what happens when I hear that is I, I look at it and I go, I didn't do my job then. Like I, I, I got to break it down into simpler, you don't, you don't see like that. that I'm not trying to be complicated to be complicated. Like no, I, I, I definitely watch my wording to not use $50 words when I can use a $10 word, uh-huh. but I'm not going to use a 50 cent word. Cause fuck that. Like, I'm never going to have a better dick joke than someone who only does dick jokes. Uh-huh. So I'd rather focus on... At first, it was annoying, but then I'm like, that that's valuable feedback in that if, you're, if my comedy is smarter, let me focus on making it smarter so people who want smarter comedy 
just associate it with me and want to come see me. And f- uh, uh, there, to me, your job is to be entertaining enough for everyone so that you don't walk the room and they're not like, this is horrible. Mm-hmm. And then you, then you want to maximize the number of people that remember you and want to become your fan. Like, as long as you survive in the general population, it, say, say you get 5 or 10% of every show that just loves you and you become their favorite comedian, over time you win. Mm-hmm. Got it. But you, that's, there's two There's one way is that, which is way harder. Or the easy way is you be as generic as possible. You get everyone, but usually no one remembers well, your well, name. I don't think that's... Because there's, there's another five guys that are just as generic yeah. and just as funny as well, you. There's a, there, there's a, that, that also could be a false dichotomy, too. Like, like the, the, there, I see somebody like, like, you know, Louis, of course, 30 years in, whatever. But, like, uh, I, I, one of the things that he's a grandmaster of is he does talk about relatively complex things a lot of the time. But he does break it down into such simple language that people he brings people with him, even if they're not, they would otherwise be turned off by smart comedy. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's, um, I, and, and I don't know how to do that <laughs> but i i do analyze it and go okay wow that's amazing how he did that there. i mean he usually just goes back to masturbation jokes oh that, come that's on how that's how you that's, bring people back i mean <laughs> he has great bits so, yeah. but then it's like great bit masturbation yeah. great bit masturbation <laughs> does, yeah, and i'm does. like you're, you're great you don't need these masturbation jokes anymore my personal opinion. well he, i think he might find them funny but like you, you know sure but I, elevate the audience that huh. like interesting who, who cares yeah elevate don't but I mean, I'm I'm saying like he does, uh, he breaks it down into those sort of like basic parts, and then uses that breakdown to 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 then bring people along with him into the other places he wants them to go. You want to be as simple as possible, yeah, but not so simple that it's meaningless. That it's generic, yeah. or it's yeah. And it, and there's like there's all sorts of different approaches to yeah, it. Yeah, and I'm not saying I'm right. You know, no, I, no one's fucking heard of me, so I'm probably wrong. I should. <laughs> I should just be writing the best guy code jokes possible, and then I'll then I'll have a fucking career. Yeah, but so. it's not a, it's not a function of the material necessarily that you choose. I think I just think that like some of the the most brilliant minds I've ever come across have a really amazing way of making things uh, of explaining things so simply that um, that even even people who would otherwise be lost by that topic by anybody else because of the way they explain it, they're able to able to come along. I'm not saying I can do it. I just see it done. And then I go, oh, I wish I could do that. Um, but on the other hand, I hear what you say and I go, oh, I like that. <laughs> like, but, but again, I'm not trying to be complicated to be complicated. No, I know that. I know that. I, I still try to simplify as much as possible. Yeah. But to me, there's like a certain level that I'm not yeah. going to go lower than because it, then it loses all meaning and then it you might as well just do poop and jerk off jokes all day. Like, <laughs> like a good jerk off joke. No problem. But if it's just like, just lowest common denominator, like doesn't interest. I, me. I get that. Totally. And I feel this, I feel exactly it, the same. But way, it has to be fun. Like it has to be fun. Like I'm not just trying to make points, you know, mm-hmm. but there's, I, I think even when I'm like improvising with a crowd, my vocabulary choice is weird in a, like I'm using, I get made fun of about it all the time. I don't think about it. But, but, but it, I've heard, I hear other comedians where they're just using big SAT words all uh-huh. the time. And I'm like, oh, you don't want to do that. Like, I, I, I try to minimize big words. I, I do too. And I, don't, I think about it a lot. Like, yeah. yeah. No, I definitely spend time yeah. minimizing. Well, because like if you use that big word and you lose somebody who would have otherwise been with your right, joke, exactly. what's the point of it? Yeah, no, I'm not exactly. Yeah. That, that's, that, yeah. that's what I'm trying to, maybe it's not coming across. No, I'm, not, I'm not trying to lose anyone. Yeah. I, 
I could write a different version of all my jokes where I would lose way more people. I'm not, I'm not actively trying yeah, to lose them. I get that. But I'm like, if you can't read and you don't know <laughs> who Hitler is, like, I'm not, I'm not going to go below that. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's a, yeah, yeah. there's a minimum knowledge <laughs> where if you're below it, I'm sorry, this isn't for you. Yeah. But yeah. I'm not trying to be like, oh, I'm so much smarter than you. You don't, I'm going to make sure you don't understand anything I'm saying. Like I could do that probably, but See, I get really excited about super nerdy things and and try to talk about them and just like and I'm not trying to be complicated for its own sake either. And I, I struggle to like, OK, um, uh, here I am talking about this subject and I don't want it to come off like uh, somehow I am trying to like go over anybody's head. I don't. I want them all with me. And I'm just saying, like, I think that there's a skill that I just don't have uh with regards to develop it yeah right right yeah yeah and like like this bit that we we played it's about it's about consumption and anxiety and materialism which aren't things that are highbrow or that these are things that everyone experiences mm -hmm. no matter i think no matter what your education level and by or, the no way matter, you yeah. did have a fantastic dick joke with the 24-hour boner thing. right yeah. i'm not above <laughs> a dick joke but it has to it has to be in service in of a service greater of point something else yeah totally uh the, the, the interesting thing about how it came about, since I think you guys yeah, like yeah, to that's focus what, on that, I, I used to do a podcast, and I went on a rant one week about America runs on fear. Yeah, it, there wasn't any, I don't know if there was punchlines, but it was like a minute or two of, they're just trying to scare you into buying stuff, blah, uh -huh. blah, blah. And then when, and I, I even, as soon as I do a podcast, I forget what I say on it, mm -hmm. so I'm sorry in advance. Uh, <laughs> But like uh, one of our big listeners, he then messaged me on Twitter. He's like, I really like that America runs on fear rant you do. You should turn that into <laughs> ding, a bit. Ding, ding, ding. And I'm like, where was it? I'm like, I don't even remember saying it. He's like, it's around 30, whatever, 30 minutes. So then I played it back. I'm like, and then I slowly started to like form that into an actual bit. That's really interesting. I love yeah. the observation of... Uh... You watch the news and they have these big problems that you can't solve. Yes. And then commercials are little problems that you can yes, solve. And I don't think so good. It just I, that, that just before. kind of evolves. Yeah. I don't think the commercials are like I will will advertise during the news, but that's that's how it it gets experienced yeah. by people, right? Right. And, right. and right. there's a psychological like there's definitely a psychological thing of um of uh of release when you buy something and you're solving some little problem and it makes you feel better about the bigger feel like world. you have control and that is a like that moment uh, is where you start to show the contrast between the big problems and the little problems is just like such a great laugh device like oh it's so good the bounty and the oil spill ah uh it was fantastic so what when did you start like uh do you have do you remember what it was like trying to develop that part I don't remember that, but what I remember is once I had the general structure, I spent a lot of time with the bit bombing because <laughs> yeah. I, I knew I, I knew I wanted to tie everything together, like at the end, like everything that it. What what I like about that bit as a as a writer is everything I mention at the start uh -huh. comes back at the end of it, yep. like even bounty and orphans and all, like any sort of keyword I use in there, mm -hmm. I made come back at the end. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of different drafts of that bit where over and over it was again. sometimes it was longer and it was just not working. I actually changed some of it after I recorded the album. Uh, I made the last line better instead of calling called Dom. It was calling mom, which is funnier. But I, I, what can you do? I, yeah. Got it. So it, it, even when you record an album, it still evolves. Sometimes. I was expecting call Lance for the third time. I thought that I, I, I actually had that in one of the 
earlier versions uh-huh. where it's just that shitty of a phone. Yeah. But it wouldn't hit. It, oh, okay. it wouldn't get a laugh. So I hmm. that that last line, I, I definitely remember spending a couple months trying to find the right sound <sighs> at the end to make it work. Because uh-huh. th- there's nothing worse where you build up the momentum and they're laughing and they're with you and then the last line just falls out. Oh. And all right, we got to bring this back to the workshop. I, that's what I—that's what I think about when I hear great bits now. Like, I'm like, how long did this guy? Because yeah. there's there's so much you had to say, and then yeah, like like you said, it wasn't working, and you have to spend months and months like rewriting. And when you just when you before you get into comedy, you just hear something, and you're, it it all naturally flows together, and you think it naturally flows together, but. Mm. That's yeah. like the work of comedy. The the, uh, the call immigration part in the middle that act, that also used to be longer, but then it wasn't really getting laughs. Mm. So then I had to cut it. Although I think again that part I rewrote even after the album, where it's like, so you know, happiness isn't about buying stuff; it's about experiences. So instead of buying snuggies and shamwows, shoplift snuggies and shamwows. <laughs> <laughs> and if you get caught, call immigration on the sales clerk. Where I even brought that, I added that in. Mm-hmm. So. Wait, the, that, the so big, that line didn't work? It, it works. It worked. The steel. I, I also had a line of trample someone at Walmart and like get, go to the Amazon. Instead of shopping on Amazon, go to the Amazon. Like there's a lot of different variations right. of that right. that didn't, wouldn't hit hard enough. So mm-hmm. I, I kept changing it. I also made a rap song based on this. It's my alter ego, Ben Blazer. What's it called? America Runs on Fear. How does it go? A little preview. You, you can uh, play it as the outro to this episode if you want. Okay, it's we'll like eight minutes that. long. By the All way, right, well. I loved the um, uh, the very beginning of your bit. It's such a good opener to uh, start with a common phrase. Let them finish it in their minds or even out loud, and then say the and then say the other thing. It's just such a delightful, engaging, built-in punchline device. Like, yeah. oh, it's so good. Yeah, I've definitely started using that in a couple. This was the first place I did that, mm. and then I've other bits I've started doing that because it's a fun. They expect this, nope, and then they're with you because you're, you're forcing them to participate without screwing it up. So may his reputation rest in peace. I saw Bill Cosby live, <laughs> and uh, I and one of the and when you woke up the next morning, <laughs> I saw him live, and well, he did something like this, but he wove it throughout his whole set. Or he's like he kept coming back to it, where he would say, and I asked Carl, my, and he'd have the audience say friend over and over again. Um, uh, and he's he's and then he took and Carl is what your friend, and they'd say that over and over again, um, showing all the wonderful things that Carl would do because he's friends. And then at the end of it, he says, and Carl went to pick me up when my wife didn't because he's what, and everybody goes friend. He goes single. <laughs> and it was Funny. so huge because he wove it throughout the entire two right. hours. Yeah, 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 brilliant. Um, that's even better where you indoctrinate them with the yeah. right answer and then yes. you pull the rug out. Yes, yeah, same thing. I mean, I mean, here it runs on. They're already indoctrinated by you know, but you don't know that everybody's indoctrinated with that. Whereas he created it. It's just like, oh, brilliant. Um. All right. Uh, now, as part of a podcast, we pick one of our favorite bits. Right. And uh, this this week, Jeff has chosen a, a bit by David Cross. We'll play and that. The name right. of the it doesn't have anything to do with it uh, with what he's talking about. So I don't even need to say it. But it's off okay. his album. Uh, it's not funny. It was probably one of my absolute favorite albums of all time. It was recorded uh, in uh, over a series of eight performances in Washington D.C. And this was in the height of 
all of this sort of um, uh, George W. Bush post 9-11 fever. Uh, so, yeah, do it. Went to a really, really fancy restaurant. Uh, this is uh, not too long ago. It was um, a super, super fancy place in uh, New York. Um, it was one of the top restaurants in America. It's called Jean George, and it's in the Trump building by Central Park. And the thing is, like, I, I'm, I'm certainly a lot better at it now, but I've always had this problem, this uh, self-consciousness uh, um, uh, when I'm in a fancy place or, or, like, flying first class or something where I get kind of uncomfortable and just assume everybody's looking at me like, you know, I won some sort of contest or something, <laughs> you know, and I'm, I, I, I'm, obviously I'm a lot better about it now, but I still have that feeling like people, you know, if I'm in first class section, somebody's like, oh, look, honey, the Make-A-Wish Foundation is flying a boy up. <laughs> um, so anyway, I go, uh, and I'm more uptight than my girlfriend is, and we go make reservations, I get there, dress really nice, and I uh, put in my reservation, or, you know, my name, and they go, the guy goes, okay, we'll have your table ready for you in a minute, uh, have a drink at the bar, I was like, okay, and I go over and order a glass of wine, and then, like, three minutes later, a uh, little guy in a tuxedo comes over, and he's holding this, like, uh, silver, like, tablet thing that's, like, slightly bigger than his hand, you know, this, like, th- whatever you call it, and, uh, mm-hmm. and he comes over, and he goes, uh, monsieur, your table is ready? And I was like, oh, okay, and but I don't know what the tablet is about, you know, the silver thing. And I'm like, uh, and I'm thinking, like, am, am I supposed to tip him? Or that that's kind of garish, right? You don't do that, right? And uh, so I'm like, uh, uh, and 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 now like every second that passes, I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to do. And I'm like really starting to get really self conscious, like you know, he's just standing there. I'm like. Do I am I do I reach for it? I mean, is this do I is this do I insert it into the table? Is that how the table starts or what? What is? I don't know what to do. You know, and I'm standing there, and every second feels like a minute, and I'm like, just like, uh, and I'm not, you know, grinning like a retarded foreign cousin. You know, it's just like America. You know, like I, I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to do, and I'm like, uh, I, I, you know, and then he eventually, after a couple seconds, he takes my wine glass and he puts it on the the tablet, and it's like. Oh, that's what it was for, you know? The, and the wine glass was just, it was doing fine in my hand. I had no problem with it. I didn't, you know, there was no, uh, uh, you know, there was no danger of me going, fuck you, bitch, you know? Like, that's <laughs> perfectly capable of transporting my own wine to the table. You know, I've done it a million times, but that's what, it, that's how classy it was. It was like, took the glass and put it on the silver tray, and then just uh, walk 10 feet to my table, and that's all it was for, is to give my wine a little silver ride. (laughs) How about that, wine? That was a classy little ride, wasn't it? A lot better than being in that hand. (laughs) And uh, we're sitting there, and it's it's really good food, and, uh, and we're enjoying it. And then about halfway through the meal, I have this epiphany, and I go... I, like, realize, and I go, wait a second. You guys, this isn't worth $500. (laughs) Come on. Where's Ashton? Where is he? And, no, but it was good. It was good and everything, but, uh, um... But then, so then, at the very end of the meal, you get the dessert. And there's every course, there's like seven courses, and each course is like three things in the course. And then we get the very grand finale. And the, this, the dessert thing is this big 
hand-carved, like, chocolate mountain thing. And then on the top of the chocolate is a real sheet of real gold. (laughs) Yeah. Tasteless, odorless gold. (laughs) To eat. (laughs) And I thought, wow, man. If that isn't the ultimate fuck you to poor people, I don't know what is. That is an awesome gesture of fuck you, poor people. That, and I started thinking about the journey that that gold took to get to America, you know, like starting like, you know, in Uzbekistan and like a mountainside where some like 60 year old guy with, you know, making, making $5 a week, you know, has got stubby little fingers and they're kind of half nubby and they're always all scarred and everything. He's crawling down this cave to, you know, with his blasting caps and his nitroglycerin. He's trying to get, you know, just scrape out any gold. I must make Susu her medicine money, you know, and then and they're like, come on, come on, old man, get that gold out, get the dirt out, get those nuggets out, it's gotta go to America, and then they load it up, and they take it to the smelter, it was like some hundred-year-old guy with scoliosis and missing both eyes and pockmarked from all the gold that's coming out, and he's like, come on, smelt it faster, let's go, it's gotta go to America, make those bricks, make those gold bricks, and then, you know, like a bunch of, you know, eight-year-old kids with hobbled legs, you know, loading it up into the freighter, you know, please, I hope I am free someday, and then the, oh, they get the gold, and they get to get on the ship and they bring it all the way to America and then they shave it off and you put it on your dessert and you're like, hey, yeah, thanks a lot. Um, anyway, so then I closed the bond at a 4.7 merger and then, uh, yeah. And that's, uh, that's so funny. What'd you say? Uh, what'd you say? You had, to, you had to get Susa or medicine money? That's so ironic because I'm in the pharmaceutical industry. <laughs> anyway, I didn't even fucking enjoy it. Look at that. I didn't even taste it. It doesn't taste like anything. <laughs> Where'd it go? I don't know. There it is right there. You want to come get it? Come on, swim for it. That'll feed your family for a year, you poor fuck. <laughs> All right, there's definitely a theme today's, today's yeah, right? bits, huh? Yeah. <laughs> the consumption, the bourgeoisie versus the proletariat. I think that's the, we found the theme for today's comedy. Feel the burn. Maybe that's the episode yeah. title. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Jeff, why did you pick this bit? Um, I, I like this bit because um, I really love rapid fire, um, a rapid fire succession of description. Where um, you all of a sudden you it, it just kind of comes out of nowhere and then you're just taken completely out of whatever setting that the comedian has has created and you're on this completely other journey and it, and you're in a journey legitimate like a like a um, he has created a journey for you where you're like now it's not just he takes this moment of like oh this is really wow this is garish holy I, I no, don't need to eat gold and then takes that into the wider context of what it means to have that there on his plate. And I love that. Uh, just that one moment, that one little thing. Now you have this complete, like just and the rapid fire of things like I must make Susu her medicine money, just like little tiny vignettes of just a, a, a little, I mean, he goes, there's a long period of time where there's zero economy of phrasing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was going to be my complaint about it. Yeah. The first two to three minutes, not to be an asshole, but the two, Oh, this first is, two or three minutes are very yeah, slow. Right. The, the last minute is great, but I, I, that, he's not a New York comic where you don't get, he the was. audiences he don't actually, give you, 
He is actually, but he, but he, but it's he's it's, in L.A. now, right? Yeah. Um. You no, know, he lives in he lives in. Uh, I don't know. It, whatever. Anyway, so he's lived when you're here not a lot. famous, audiences don't give you right. three minutes of. No. We'll go along with you. We no. trust there'll be a payoff. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of classic Cross too. Is Cross has really long setups in general, and that turns a lot of people off. Um. I like I like it because um he does set it up to the point where there better damn well be a good payoff. And a lot of time he delivers. And for me, the laughs are so much harder with, with Cross because he, you know, drags it out a little bit. Uh-huh. I think the laughs would be just as hard if he just made it way shorter. Where I'm at a fancy restaurant, seven-course meal, $500. It's not worth it. It's totally not worth it. Yeah. And then for dessert, and then he goes... I think I think those first three minutes because it could have been that without losing anything. I I I, I, I tend to agree with you, um, and it's not like one of his strongest bits. Uh, but the reason that I love it isn't that. It's that, um, and definitely in terms of craft, like that's indulgent to sit there <laughs> with this sort of meandering description of his internal state. <laughs> the, the end of it was great. I, right. I, I liked the last minute, but right. well, why do you it think didn't he, need to take that long? Why do that? you think he does that? Cause he, I, this is a famous comic. He knows how to write bits. He knows about tightening. Why do you think he like makes it longer? I, I wonder this sometimes when I, when I hear comedians like this. Uh, Sometimes, do you think it's like, you know, when we had like a, when we had a paper due in English and we double spaced it to make it seem longer? Do you think he's trying to, <laughs> yeah, trying to if, fill an if hour? If you're famous and you're expected to have a new hour every year or two, I'm sure that's a part of it. Okay. It might also be his style. It, he is a bit more extemporaneous, I would say. Like the guy, but I, there are a few times in a, in a, in a number of, uh, I don't know, like I, uh, there are a number of times where I sit there and I get to the point where the tension is just like, are you going to tell a joke, dude? And then kapow. And then it's just like this, this intense flurry. And it's almost like the tension of like, come on, come on. And then the delivery is so strong that it, it makes it worse. I almost think that tension makes it happen a little better. So is that, do you think he's trying to do that? Like, is that why he's deliberately slowing it down at first? He never answers any of my emails. So uh, hmm. what do you speculate, though? <laughs> so he, he's not going to be the next guest on this podcast. We'll get him on the well, podcast. Not if he's going to be so non-responsive. It's in beautiful Sunnyside. Why wouldn't you come here? Yeah, on Bliss Street, no less. <laughs> We're in New York uh, City, baby. Yeah. Uh, um, why do I think he does that? Um... It could be very well be sort of his storytelling acting background. Like he, he went to Juilliard. Uh, he, you know, had all this sketch stuff and a lot. And if you watch Mr. Show, there are, there's a lot of like exposition in a number in his sketches um, that it takes a while for it to get into it. But I, mm-hmm. I definitely, when I first started doing standup, I wanted to be able to, to like, meander a bit and i got i learned real fast that's dumb uh, i don't have five yeah, minutes i can't do when... that crap you, you can if people came to see you do an hour yeah and they're happy yeah. to see you yeah. right right but it, if you're not the top four percent of comedians or whoever right you, know, you don't have that luxury but all right, so what uh, what I think what David Cross does here, and you, we've touched on it, is like you take it. He takes something that happened that he found absurd, which is the gold, mm-hmm. and then just takes it in a do, new direction and tries to imagine how that came about. I think that's a common uh, comedic thing, and uh, and I, that's that's what people look for is something that makes you say this is absurd, and then and then go into it. Right. 
Right. Um, he also did the thing where he's like, but I, this is one thing that I've, I've noticed is, uh, he's, when the person's, he, the person gave him the wine, uh, tray, I guess to, to, for him to escort. He's like, I was fine. It's not like I was going to throw it at her and yes. say, fuck you, bitch. Yes. Yes. So this is, I think, a, a, a little cheat or a little thing that comedians do is they'll describe something and they say, it's not like, and then that gives you license to just do some, cra- put some crazy thing and, and, uh, and get a, get a laugh line, uh, without is, where, where nothing, where nothing really exists. It, right. He just, cause he just says, it's not like I was going to do this. And right. then you can, you can right. say something when right. you're telling your own stories. There's like a, um, you're, it, it's, uh, what is the an absurd other conclusion to this scenario, or what is another absurd uh, reason why this is happening, or or something like there's there's this you paint this absurd alternative reality for just a moment. Yeah, and it makes it easier instead of saying this happened and that was weird, and then saying this happened that was weird. you can now you can even say this didn't happen and uh, this mm-hmm. happened that was boring, and, or and then this didn't happen, and then you can it's a more it's another way to make jokes on things and make stories punch them up. All right, so this is my bit on uh, on uh, vaccines and Jen McCarthy. You guys remember that? Jen McCarthy, she started this movement against vaccines. The entire medical community was against her, but people listened to Jenny McCarthy. <laughs> Folks, if you're trusting your kid's health to the blonde from Scary Movie 3, <laughs> then you have autism. <laughs> She was a former Playboy model. We used to get our medical advice from people with MDs. Now we're getting it from people with double Ds. (laughs) What's next? Second opinion from the Hooters waitress? (laughs) She said she, uh, she, uh, she started this movement because she said her kid developed autism at the same time that he got the vaccine. But that's like blaming tequila for chlamydia because they both have an experiment. This is such an unbelievable story to me. Then she said she knows more than doctors about the subject because she went to the University of Google. Those are her exact words. It's a bad sign if your university is the world's main source of your topless pictures. (laughs) (laughs) This vaccine saves four million lives every year, and Jenny McCarthy got people to stop taking it. I say we go back to just viewing blondes as sex objects. Anyone? (laughs) Sorry, Miss. Should be objectified, but some need to be objectified, or children will literally die. <laughs> so, guys, next time a girl yells at you for staring at her chest, tell her you're doing it for the kids. <laughs> okay, Jenny McCarthy. <laughs> so, all right, um, how to start? Uh, this bit, I, this is one of the first bit I wrote, wrote where I was just angry at something. Um, and, you know, before I write bits, because I thought there were, like, something that happened that I thought was funny. Mm-hmm. And I, I, this is, I like this bit in particular, because it was one of the first bits I wrote um, where I was just angry at it. And I don't think there's anything funny about it. And it's so stupid, and I don't understand. And then, and then. And now um, all your bits are based on anger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that started. You found a, your character. Right. Uh, yeah, now more of them are based on stuff I'm angry and now about. Now your whole character is the angry, what the fuck is going on in the world? <laughs> There's a lot of that. Yeah, which um, is enjoyable. Uh, but uh, yeah, I still, I still don't understand. I still really don't understand. You're a parent with a child, and you would, and you would like, at this woman... Oh, I thought you were upset because a woman was speaking out. Yeah, that, oh, that too. Why don't they learn that. their place? <laughs> oh, gee, all right. I totally he, missed the he's point. He's a different kind of brown. You, you got confused. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but 
you're you're a parent with a child. Why would this woman gain any kind of credibility? Like, I get that. I get in general that people are stupid, but like now you actually have a child in the world. The stakes are really high to make sure. Having a child doesn't make you smarter. If I, anything, it makes you dumber because you have less time to do other things like read. You, I guess. Usually, like I, in in medicine, like people will do stuff for their kids that they will never do for themselves. Like they won't they won't take their medicines themselves. They won't go to the doctor and pay for it themselves. But like when it comes to their kids, they'll like pull out all the stops. That's like that's how usually how people behave. But still, with this Jenny McCarthy thing, instead of listening to MDs, they're listening to someone with double Ds. That's mm-hmm. a, that was a joke from the line. Yeah, but we heard it really true <laughs> and i don't get why i i like that's that's really what it came down to I, yeah it, it just just that like why are you taking your medical advice from this person and why does one ostensibly you know uh out like famous just I, why is a famous person telling you this more important than the person that you go to to fix your health issues yeah i get that um, and it's just part of the part of this culture of everything that's this is I think this is the negative side of what we've been talking about, which is everything corporate is bad. And then everything fucking hoity toity and hippy dippy mm. with tie dye is good. So like the, a, a vaccine is a very corporate thing and people do make money on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it works. And the reason why, you know, people make it and makes money is it because it works. And this is, I think, the the reverse side of it is then people automatically think something corporate's bad when it's when. At, at, when it's not bad right something actually works and deep also works for the medical establishments so i don't know how much I, we should trust him it's true that's true but he, doctors don't make money on vaccines that's another thing like yeah, there's some like right. <laughs> like like as if vaccines were every you're just getting yeah. to ching every time you get you make nothing <laughs> um okay so so this so what happened with you is you said okay i don't get this like this is a, a, such an absurd thing which i can totally understand by the way like it's like one of the mo- most incredible miracles of modern science is the ability to vaccinate ourselves and protect ourselves from the microorganisms that are trying to kill us like it's wow that's incredible it's new and it works and to have somebody come out and just be like <laughs> with no training go against all of the data but we were talking earlier about how it's really hard you can't be more preachy than funny and this mm-hmm. is like one of the obviously as it started out it was it's bombing and it's still pretty inconsistent uh-huh um i haven't done it in a while but like it you it's it's that that line that it was it was far you know to being more preachy and i had to keep working and working on making it funnier than mm-hmm. than preachy and it's still like it's still i think 250 50 and i still have to make it make it funnier um, and then I think there, there's a point where I'm like, can we just, there's, then there, then there's another thing you start struggle with doing bits is there's stuff that you think is funny. And then you can beat your head against the wall and you feel like the, the other people will see it. And sometimes you just have to give it up. So like, right. I mean, can we stop? Can we, um, there's a part here where I say, can you stop uh, viewing blondes as sex objects? I'm not saying, I'm not saying all just all women should be objectified, but some women need to be objectified. Yeah. yeah, yeah can yeah. we? Can we just start treating bonds as sex objects? I think it's funny because it's clearly I'm, I'm joking, but I uh-huh. think that turns people off. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the context of that, or they're still not coming along with that joke. Right. Yeah, and then I dig myself out of it, and I like that, but sometimes I feel like the, the digging out isn't complete. Yeah, I was going to say, you save it with the, when you're staring at their boobs, tell them you're doing it for the kids. I yeah. feel that fixes if, where you piss them off a little right before that, so it's worth it. 
Okay, uh, maybe I should start. I have to start doing it again and see what the. Sometimes there's another thing. Sometimes you don't do a bit for a year, and I think you just get better in comedy, and then your old bits delivered are getting doing better, even mm-hmm. though they're not really changed. Yeah, like do do you as a performer and you as in your ability to connect with the audience does that increase, and then the material that you wrote before, all of a sudden you just have a new heightened ability. Uh, I don't know. Um, I, I I've had that happen, definitely. Um, I do, I do want to just give you mad props for the, that's like, cause it, it's so hard sometimes to find just the right metaphor. That's like blah, 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 which will get a huge laugh if it matches right. And mm. that can take months sometimes of just hoping your subconscious will pull it out or trying all these different things and it just, nothing works. And you're, um, that's like blaming tequila for your commit chlamydia. Oh, it's such a great, just, oh, it's so good. Thank you. Yeah. Also, with the giving up on bits, I feel more often than not, if you keep rearranging the words, you can find the right joke in there. Mm-hmm. Do you ever get frustrated and just stop doing it then? Yeah. Like, Fuck it. I'm like, I have it, all these other things I'm working it, on. It depends on how much I like the bit. I've definitely, sometimes it just works either the first time or the third time, like early on, and you know, it's good, or at least a core of it works, and then you adjust the other tags and punchlines. But sometimes it just, there's some bits where you got to let them bomb over and over until you, I'll I'll give you an example. Monday, I accidentally, I'll I'll do it a bit quickly, and the last line would never work. And and on Monday, I finally found such a slight adjustment, so I'll do it, but... uh, you, you can tell, I feel people in third world countries are happier because they expect less. Happier than Americans because they expect less. Over here, it's like at the zoo, the tiger was napping, so I couldn't get a selfie with Simba. My life is over. <laughs> over there, it's like, I didn't get eaten by a tiger today. It's a good day. Akuta Matata. Here, traffic from work is a nightmare. Over there, the nightmare is human trafficking. <laughs> <laughs> Here, I want to get married and have a child. Over there, I want to have a child bride. Like, now that works, but I, th- the previous version was, I have a child bride, and that wouldn't work. Just adding wanna, I feel softened it enough yeah. that now the audience can laugh. Yeah. And I did that by accident on stage. Because the, wow. because, because the fake child br- bride is more real. It, it's, without, it's with less offensive than an actual child bride. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, but like that, that an actual that, fake child bride. Yes, but like that that joke, that last line, I've literally Sandeep probably remembers. I went through six or eight versions of a last line and none of them. I, I thought some of them were great, but they just stare at me like, no, that's too much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I like the joke. I like the point behind it. For, for, a, for a week, I just stopped doing a third line. But then this one came to me and then it still didn't work. But then I had the accidental adjustment. And then it worked. So I keep, keep, keep playing with it if you believe in it. Okay. But sometimes you like come up with something, you think it's funny, you say it a couple times. Yeah. They don't laugh. You're like, oh, I guess it's not funny. And if you don't it, care about it. And then I felt it. like it got less topical. Like at the time I was doing this joke, there was a lot of uh, vaccine stuff in the news. I, it's not there anymore. I, I still think that people were, it's like still well, there in a low level. You could so always call someone in the audience autistic and then bring the bit in based off of that. That's a good idea. Unless they're actually autistic, then don't. Or I could talk about me being autistic. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be better. I don't have to rely are. on anyone in the audience. Well, um, I think we had a good... It's, this was good. Thank you. I had a good time. Let's talk about all the good things.
Sets. Sets.